Hi guys, welcome back to Buckle Up, an ultra running conversation with Simon and Brian. Hi Simon. Hey, hey Brian, how are your knees? My knees are good today. Just got done running high school track. Just high school track season just started this week in Colorado and my knees are doing well. How are you Simon? Always good, always good. I'm about to do uh, the 4448 Goggin Challenge oh. starting tomorrow, so that's going to be fun. Let's oh, wow. You're going to do 4x4x48. Four yeah. four so four miles, four hours for 48 hours. Yeah, so basically 48 miles in two days, which when you say yeah. it like that doesn't sound so, so bad. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's talk about that in a second. But first, I want to introduce you to Kevin Hatfield. Uh, Kevin Hatfield's a highly skilled ultra runner has it he has an impressive list of achievements including completing the tour de jeans three times run rabbit run high five 100 pinhoti 100 rio del lago 100 cold water rumble 100 javelina 100 and securing the overall victories at the grand mesa 100 miler and 50 kilometer and many more if you go look at his ultra sign up those are the ones i just pulled off um recently kevin finished the cocodona 250 and his third run rabbit run um race in 2023. He resides with his wife, Liesl, in the Roaring Fork Valley of Western Colorado. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me on. Kevin, nice meeting you. Actually, I, I don't know you much, but that running resume is absolutely amazing. My number one race that I want to do someday is Tour de Jean. The fact that you've done it three times is absolutely amazing. For those who don't know that race, it's a I mean, maybe you'd be better at describing it, but it's basically a 200 miler, but in the metric system. So 300 something kilometers in the Alps, in the Valley d'Aosta. And I think the elevation gain would be comparable to doing two hard rock back to back. No, even more, right? Like maybe two Ure 100 back to back. So yeah, pretty that's intense. A, that's a, yeah, that's about right. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, we can jump right into tour. Um, I incredible race uh incredible event um it links up two historic uh altavias in the uh in the alps um the altavia due on kind of the uh the south and west side of uh the valdeosta and then the altavia uno uh takes you back uh kind of on the northeast side and um you know, before I ever went to my first Tour de Géant, which was 2017, um, I was speaking with Joe Grant, another very well-known ultra runner who's raced like everything, raced all over the world. And um, he said that the Tour de Géant, uh, mile for mile, is the best race on the planet. And I was like, you mean like overall the best race on the planet? He's like, no, just it's that quality, mile for mile. You know, it's 220 miles of running through a postcard. It's it, it's got everything that you could possibly want, um, unless you're looking for you know a fast marathon time. You're not going to find it there. Um, <laughs> it, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, 130k and what is the elevation gate on it? Yeah, so uh, that's uh, I've actually got a, a thing uh, right here. It says. So, um, 330K, 24,000 uh, meters of gain and, and loss. So, multiply that by three. That's roughly like 72,000 feet of climbing and descent. Um, but that's the, that's the thing about the tour, too. You know, that's that's what they advertise 
but they're not going to let anybody down on shorting you on your on your climbing <laughs> or your distance. Um, the course changes a little bit every year, just a little bit, or like you know maybe they'll add a climb here, take another one out. Um, so that's sort of you know what they what they advertise is kind of like this is the least least you can expect, and it's probably going to be a little more. What's the decision so. in the course, Kevin? Do you know? Uh, some of it has to do with, uh, you know, like one of the years that I did it, it was the 10th anniversary of, of the race. So they dusted off a climb that they hadn't used since the first, uh, edition. And they just kind of wanted to throw all the really difficult things. And that was, uh, you know, they kind of rebranded to this tour X tour mm-hmm. X and, and, and that X, mm-hmm. uh, came, um, you know, with the uh with the 10th anniversary and they also wanted to just kind of throw out the most difficult variation that suited me well coming from like a climbing and and uh, mountaineering background um and actually that 10th year um was my my best uh performance there was also the third year that i was there so i kind of figured out the race a bit but ended up sneaking into the top 20 overall which uh which was a good feeling i was like hey all right yeah I mean, it's a it's a pretty deep field, so top twenty is actually pretty solid for a race like yeah, that. I, That's amazing. I, I I wish that I had went uh, been able to go back the next year, but it was it was COVID and all all the all that mm. stuff the next year because um, you know they every year that you do it, if you return, your bib number was whatever you placed the year before, and mm. uh, I've. I, I grew up as a hockey player before I was really like, you know, into endurance sports and, and, and mountaineering and my favorite hockey player um, that ever played for the avalanche wore number 19. So I was like, Oh my gosh, next year mm-hmm. I need to wear 19 running around the Val de Osta. This is going to be awesome. Then COVID happened and just didn't happen. For me. How, you got to excuse my ignorance, back? but who's 19? Oh, guy Joe Sackick was a was a great hockey Sackick, player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Played for yeah, Colorado so Avalanche when I was as like much 12. as I love like the Avalanche, you fuckers stole our <laughs> team from the Nordic and a bunch of players that we really loved. They were all gone. For me, my favorite one was uh, Patrick Croix, thirty three, the goalkeeper. Yeah. Oh yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I mean he's thought, he is a. Uh, I thought you were from California. You're so a proud Quebecer. Whoa! Don't insult me. I'm Canadian. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, you, you, uh, good, good, uh, good on you, Simon. You know your, uh, you know your NHL history. I, um, I was heartbroken when he, because he was not with the Nordic. He was with the Montreal Canadian, and yeah, yes, he was. He, he got super pissed one day, and then he just got the fuck out. That was basically what he did, and then he left. And he was my hero when I was a kid. So that was wow. a bummer. And then, of course, was... you guys won the Stanley Cup basically right after it. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I I'm looking I'm looking over my shoulder because I actually uh, somewhere right in here I have like a Patrick Watt trading card just like sitting on the desk. It's it, it was a really random thing somebody <laughs> sent in a box and I just saw it the other day. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, that, uh, that's pretty cool, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. So yeah. you've done other you've done other events on multiple occasions. Um, we'll say we'll use Run Rabbit Run because we because um, we just talked about that off air for a second. Um, and mm-hmm. and now we're talking about tour. Do you like the format of the changed course or do you like the structure of knowing what's out there for each consecutive year? Which do you prefer? How does that work for you? Um, uh, Well, to be completely honest, I personally uh, prefer both, but I think that it kind of comes down to, uh, to goals. Like, um, 
you know, if I want to go out and like race my best race, um, I'm going to do better just personally, generally, um, if I know what to expect, I guess, like kind of rehearsing it. Um, like I said, I came from a climbing and mountaineering background and, uh, spent like a decade, um, you know, like kind of projecting sport climbs and, and, uh, and boulder problems and stuff like that. And I think I kind of take the same mindset into, into racing sometimes mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, one of the things that initially drew me to ultra running is like, holy crap, you send every time, as long as you keep like, as long as your feet hit the ground before your face does, like you're sending, that's awesome. I mean, I spent a decade failing at climbing, um, with like little spurts of, of success, um, felt like you were sending every time, uh, running, but, uh, you know, that projecting mindset kind of crossed over into you know, okay. The very first time I go to an event, it's like, it's like the onsite. I, you know, I, I give it my best, but like, you know, I, I'm going to learn so much. And then the next year, you know, you, it's, it's like all those, those, those go goes in between the go, you know, you have anxiety, you might high point, you might do whatever every single time that you, that you try something, you learn something more, you make it easier. And then ultimately you have, you know, a big success, which, you know, may be the best performance that you can put out there. Running a hundred miles long ways, like running 50 miles is a long ways. Running 250 miles is a long ways. Like it's all a long ways. Um, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but like the, the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to, to just keep going, um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, like, uh, at tour, like we'll take, let's take tour, for example, like every single time I've run it, I've had a low point at a little town called Latouille, which is like the second aid station might even be the first aid station. It's like 15 miles into 220, 230 mile race. Mm -hmm. And you've only done one climb and it's the easy climb. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm, I've been there and like my quads are already cramped up, like everything, the, the whole, the magnitude of the event is like on my shoulders and you're like, this isn't going to happen. And then somehow two days later, three days later, you're charging back into Cormier and I mean, and, and it happened and, and it's the entire way you're just kind of tricking yourself into, into going and then your brain's trying to trick you into, into stopping. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's I, all, I mean, it's I all totally the game. It's all tricks. It, it's, it's so <laughs> mental. Yeah. It, it's so mental. And I think a lot of people that are not used to ultra running, they somehow expect like, if you run hundred miles, then you're going to start struggling maybe at 70, 80. It's like, no, 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 no. I still struggle at mile 20 sometimes. And then it gets Every super time. mental because you're you're kind of like, but there's so much to go. And I've never done a 200, but I, I can only imagine thinking like, man, I still got 230 miles to go and I'm already mm -hmm. tired and I, I just fell down and I'm puking and I can't eat. And it, it kind of like you, you, you suffer for things to come. Whereas when you actually go through it, like it's easy to just like, well, now it's in the past, you know, like I'm bleeding out of my ass, whatever. And no, I, I think that's, that's super interesting.
Um, oh, I, all I was all I was gonna say is yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I like rehearsing stuff and I like doing it the first time as well. But yeah, Brian, what's a? Uh, I mean, what's your opinion? I mean, you've done Leadville ten times, but still, um, okay. it, it depends if you count the ones you finish or not, right? Well, let's well I have 10 there. starts. I have 10 starts, 8 <laughs> That's finishes. That's what I thought. I was so, like, I know you, you, you've got 10. Yeah. Starts. 10 starts. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, it's funny because I thought I had a bigger opinion, but hearing your answer actually does solidify it for me. Um, I And I like your answer. I, I agree with your answer that um, I could go either way. I like the structure of knowing what's coming ahead, but I've had events where I've shown up and not previewed the course and done really well blindly, right? So so I think both sides of that I can use um, to my advantage and, and maybe I don't know what's coming. I don't know how big the climb is around the next bend or how small it is or how, how many more miles of running terrain I have, like runnable terrain um, before the climb. You know, maybe I, it's a little bit of guesswork because I didn't preview the course and, and don't really understand it fully. Um, but like at Leadville, having finished eight times, having started 10, now that you bring it up, thanks guys. <laughs> I, um, I, I do, there are no surprises, right? You're, and, and unless there's a course change for whatever reason, um, there hasn't been one in a couple years. Uh, and it's not the same course it was 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago. Um, so I, I could see your point. Um, I'm playing both sides of that. It could go either way for me as well. Um, I do, I, tour changing their course is really cool and it's unique in our sport, but like you think of like Tour de France, they're always changing their course every year and there's always reroutes and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and so I like that as a spectator. Um, and I was trying to figure out like how that works, like for your crew and for um, Liesl to like drive around Italy and, and figure out where you're at in the world. Are the aid stations similar? And are you just getting to the next aid station in a different manner? Yeah, virtually all, all the aid stations are the same every year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I think the first year I did it, there was, there was one that maybe wasn't in it in, in the other ones. And, and, um, you know, that, that race also, uh, um, you know, I don't know when they changed it, but, um, it's, they, they try to make it a lot more self-sufficient than, uh, you know, definitely than, than, uh, races in the U S there are life bases, uh, I think five, five of them. Um, that uh, are sort of like designated areas where the crew can meet with you. Um, but really any aid from the, from crew outside of those life bases. And then there are a couple of other aid stations that are like, especially they're like kind of more at the back half of the race that are like pseudo life bases um, that, that do allow some, some crew help or access. Um, you know, it, uh, I guess the race tries to keep all, everything contained to those areas and then the rest of it you're on your own or just uh at the whim and the will of uh of of the volunteers at the race and it's an incredibly uh well um run uh, organization oh my gosh i will tell you you know i know i know brian you've run 200s in the u.s and you know you're running 20 miles between aid stations cocodona is that way um, Tour de Géant, even though it is the most epic, craziest terrain that you're running through, and it's so much longer than anything that I've done, like, you know, just as far as like an overall effort, there's an aid station every like five miles. I mean, it's crazy. They, 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 they helicopter in these like phone booth things onto high mountain coals and, uh, 
and they're serving you, you know, hot tea and soup and oh my gosh, it's wow. So it's it's aided like a hundred miler. But, why did we why did we do coca donuts? I mean, why didn't we just go over yeah. to Europe? But it, it's it's different oh. setting, right? Like the, the Alps can be pretty hardcore, so they, they have to have that for safety. And it's such a bigger event. Like how how many runners? Is it like a thousand or two thousand runner? I feel it's a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um, like something bad is bound to happen at some point. I, yeah, I remember when I was in the area, not for the race, uh, someone died. Uh, I think yep. maybe not during the race, but like like someone stopped r- racing and then they died and like they, they got to be careful if there's a huge storm and you're you're up on some call you're you're totally screwed whereas in arizona i mean eh, you'll, you'll be fine so i, I think they have to be we'll probably survive about that. but i think also a big difference between the alps and, and the mountain in the u.s is you also have a freaking village everywhere all the time yep. and you have refuge all the time like you, you go in this crazy mountain it's gorgeous and then you walk down the valley for like three kilometers because they use a metric for whatever reason. And then it's like, oh, like I, I can go into like a pretty fancy restaurant here. So it's a, it's a different vibe. You don't get eaten by a bear and you can eat in the restaurant. So pretty fancy. Yeah, anyway. I said it better myself. <laughs> Kevin, how many times have you, so you got in three times. Um, it it yeah. seems um, like pretty good odds, but how many times have you applied to get in? Uh, so, uh, tour, uh, so I actually only applied once. Um, so I got in, in the lottery. It's the only race I've had lottery luck in, uh, Brian, <laughs> you've, you, you've been there for, um, some of my other, uh, lottery failures. Um, and they've been many, I, I literally have never gotten into another lottery race other than tour. And I got in on my first try. Um, and uh, a friend of mine was doing PR for a company called Montaigne, um, which is, uh, they, they uh, used to be um, a sponsor of Tor. Uh, and so I got in on the lottery, did okay my first year, finished. And uh, then after that, they were like, hey, uh, do you want to make this like a formal relationship? And, and uh, I've actually had a kind of a formal relationship with Montaigne ever since. And so I've been able to not only do tour, which is a, uh, Montane race, but also been over to England for the spine race twice. And you mm-hmm. didn't see that on mm-hmm. ultra sign up because, nice. uh, that's, uh, that's, I, I actually eat. So I didn't, that's, that's, the, that's my only, that's, that's my DNF and it's twice at spine. Mm. Um, I haven't figured that race out. Um, you know, on paper, it's way easier than something like Tor and probably even easier than something like Cocodona on paper. Like if you're just looking at the elevation profile, but uh, um, just the difficulties of running through uh, the hillsides in England, like the bogs and stuff, or they've, they've chewed me up and spit me out. Uh, I went 200 miles both times, but that's a 260 mile race or something like that. So came short. Um, it, but yes, yeah, so, it's so spine. I'm sorry. Is Spine a stage race? Is what I'm trying to say. No, no. They just start the time clock and you you go uh, get okay. to the finish. I'm thinking of another thing. Um, maybe I'm thinking. Oh, of you're thinking of the Dragon's Back. Oh, I'm thinking of Dragon's Back. You're right. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Which is also a Montane event. Um, totally. But uh, yeah, so 2019 was the last year that uh, that Montane um, sponsored Tour de Géant, and it's the last year that I've did it as well um it to me 
to me, the event's so great. Like it doesn't really matter. Um, if I can, you know, again, get time off for, for work and make it work out. Um, I'll, I'll go back to tour any year. It's, it's amazing. It's such a great experience. And then to like, if you can, if you can get over there and like, you know, be around the UTMB like fanfare and stuff too, it's, it's like the best vacation you could Wait, ever have. Who? Who? Yeah, I know. I know that <laughs> maybe that's changed a little bit, but uh, UTMB nah, was cool when I was there. Nah, people are still signing up for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 yeah I need, Go ahead. Basically, what I hear from what you're saying, Kevin, is I need better friends. <laughs> I need to find a sponsor or something. But yeah, I applied this year, didn't get in, but uh, I'll get ah, in. Next was that your year, only maybe. time applying, Simon? Yeah. Is that your first apply application? Yeah, I mean, what I heard is about like you have like maybe like a third or half of the people that get in. So I didn't want to apply when I was not so sure if I had the time on my schedule. And this year felt good, but yeah, I, I could have applied before. But it's 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 quite a commitment, like you mentioned. You have to go there. You have to really have a block that you're not racing just before that race or right after because you're going to be messed up for sure. And I just didn't have that in the past. You know, I, I did a grand slam. So there was an overlap with Wasash uh, last year. Which one was it? I can't remember, but basically I was just kind of stuck around that time, but now I made the hole and they didn't pick me. So I need, I need better friends. Yeah. No, keep applying. Keep, a, keep yeah, applying. Yeah, for sure. uh, I mean, that, wait, wait. if I can, that's the thing. Like that's, that's always a problem because simplicity wait, is, is like, is a thing, right? And we mentioned it before we start recording. It's it's nice to have a race in your backyard and you're just driving there. It takes two hours. You know everything about it. Because when you guys were talking about, you know, a race like a new like a new course or old course, I I hate if it's a race I've done before, I hate if they change the course. What I do if I want mm -hmm. a new course is I just pick another race. If I'm coming back <laughs> to the same, it's because I like this one. And I want to see, like, am I faster than last year? So I have my race that I do every year. So if they change the course, like cold water, they totally change the course. And now I'm like, ah, man, I can't compare that anymore. But it's nice to have some race that I don't need to worry about it. I know exactly where to put my drop bag. I know more or less within like 30 minutes where I'll be. And if Nora's come, my wife is coming and crewing, like we know what we need. And there, there's like no question, like, you know, when there's a water crossing, you know, these things, but it's also kind of boring. So it's it's a little like, I don't know if you guys moved a, a little bit where you live, but I, I moved quite a few times in my life. And when you move in a new town, you try a restaurant. And at some point, like if you move in a place like New York, you're not going to try every restaurant, but at some point you got to say, I like this one. And that's a restaurant you'll go often, not always. Sometimes you want something new, but you come back often. And the day they change their menu and their chef, then you're pissed. You're like, no, I liked it the way it was before. Don't change that. If I want something there, if I don't want pizza, I'll go somewhere else today. So that's my rant it got so, against cold water changing their course this year. I'm mad angry. So <laughs> I've eaten a lot of food in Leadville and Leadville's changed their race platform in the last 15 years quite a bit but i still keep going to leadville and eating the restaurants <laughs> there, there's not that many restaurants in leadville though you can actually try all of them true i think hey, i probably we're on this thread of uh we're on this thread of 200 milers and yes. um and we need some intel kevin we need yeah. some intel on cocodona 250 we're uh we're uh, newbies here. We're like fresh, fresh meat just thrown to the wolves. 
We are on um, nearly March 1st. We're at the end of February right now, and we're about three months out from um, from Cocodona. So what, yeah. what kind of advice do you have for Simon and I? Yeah, and especially we, uh, me, I, I've never raced at 200. Like at least Brian, you have some experience there, but I'm like, I'm fresh meat. I've done hundred mile and that's it. So. All right. So, um, don't, don't underestimate the heat. Uh, and Brian, like, uh, get, get some heat adaptation in. Um, I, I think that you should be programming it into your training like now. Um, which, uh, when, uh which segment is is hot because i did uh, i did sedona last year sedona 125 which was mm -hmm. the second half and like from maybe yeah. like going down from jerome you you kind of come down and get uh, hot a little bit until sedona and then you're up on the tonto and then it's actually not that bad but i don't no, know before. It, was, it, it was really pleasant up on the coconino plateau but uh, the yeah. bradshaws are super hot um so the first uh, day two days okay the first day pretty, pretty. uh was cooking me um it uh so you know we uh we had that experience of um you know it, the the win it was a great winter to ski last year it was cold in our area um and uh all of a sudden i'm we had stayed up on lizard head pass on the way driving down to uh <laughs> <laughs> to uh Cocodona. I mean it's like 10 feet of snow everywhere it was 28 degrees out uh that afternoon the next afternoon when we were driving into Phoenix it's 101 degrees on our car thermometer um and uh it, it that was it was shocking um and you know everybody was talking about like oh yeah it's gonna be really hot yeah I, I know it's gonna be really hot um I uh I underestimated the heat. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no cover, there's no shade on that first day. Um, we had, uh, we had kind of like a, a nice breeze that everybody from Arizona was like, it's not too hot. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, high nineties, but you know, they were like, Oh no, it's, it's not too hot. Cause we've got this breeze. And it was like this, like, it was just barely a breeze. And I was like, if that breeze wasn't there, I would have died. Um, like a, like a hot fart. That's exactly it. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I mean, that's what it felt like. Um, and, and the Bradshaws are, uh, you know, they're so it's, it's awesome, uh, that they are as rugged as they are. Um, especially being that close to like the, the black Canyon trail, which, you know, I understand is not super technical, but like these are, it's all hard scrabble mountains and loose underfoot, and it's not the fastest miles for sure. You're definitely not, not, not going very quick. And um, and there is, I, I feel like it was like a roughly forty mile section, you know, where there's just a water drop in the middle, and that's it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was difficult. I mean, that's the first thing that that hits you, and you're like, whoa, all right, um, I'm, I'm like, you know feel like I'm kind of bloating, like I'm screwing up all of my nutrition, my hydration, everything is like, you know, messed up. And, uh, and you're like, again, it's the same experience as, uh, is like what I was kind of saying at, at tour, you're, you're like 20 miles into a 250 mile race and you're like, nah, nah, I, no way, no way I can finish this. And, uh, 
you know, you just kind of keep playing tricks with yourself. Um, and, uh, and ultimately you get there. Um, but yeah, the heat is real, not just for the runners, but also for the crew. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's my other tip is, uh, I didn't realize how hard, um, crewing that race would be, uh, for the crew. Um, I mean, it's one, like, you know, obviously like we're all runners and we like, just think about, we're we're really, I don't know. I I guess I'm like self-centered when it comes to racing. And at the end of it, you know, my wife had to deal with the same heat. And so like, and and I also had two pacers that, that, uh, were nice enough to come down. Um, and they all had to deal with the same heat and, you know, basically they were just like, get to an aid station, kind of unload some stuff, uh, wait, I get there, I sleep or do whatever they pack it all up and they keep going. They are on my schedule and sometimes their opportunity to rest is in the middle of the day when it's also 90 degrees. So Mm -hmm. they're not sleeping. And, um, ultimately by the end of that and, and, you know, I, for different reasons, I messed up logistically, like how much sleep I needed just cause I'm, I had made a mistake basically scheduling work beforehand and, uh, ended up way be in a huge sleep deficit later in that race. Um, but ultimately at the end of the race, like we kind of took inventory and I was like, man, I, I think I slept like twice as much as, as you did. And I was running the race. Like, mm-hmm. um, so um yeah it's for cocodona it's all heat um you know if if you can if you can manage uh so the heat affected my feet the heat affected my nutrition the heat affected my corral uh my my crew and overall morale and then once i got up onto the coconino plateau i was like boom I'm, I'm having the best race of my life, but the first yeah, hundred, I mean, for sure, heat, like miles was hot. Yeah, for sure. He, he people think like, oh, I'm going to feel hot. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Like that's part of the issue, but just even thinking about the water capacity that you need to carry, if aid station are 40 miles apart, I mean, you got to carry enough water. Otherwise it's, it, you're going to be in deficit, dehydrated. Mm-hmm. It's going to be terrible. Wow. And yeah, I totally agree with the crew for us, like at bad water, I was actually, I was the opposite of you. I was actually worried for my crew all the time and wondering yeah. if they were okay. And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, you know, they give me eyes, I'll be fine, but I don't want them to suffer. And you know, the car gets hot. Like it's, it's basically kind of an oven and they have nowhere to go. So I totally understand that. Yeah. And yeah. how did you manage your, your sleep schedule? How did you plan ahead of time for that? Yeah. So, um, so here, here's, here's my pro tip on, uh, I guess this is from, from hundred mile or from 200 milers and, and other like weird things that I've done. I've kind of devised like a sleep strategy that anecdotally, like, I mean, it works for me and I think everybody, you know, needs to experiment and kind of come up with their own, but, uh, for something that's going to take me like three to four days, I'll target two hours of sleep per day. And I'll, I'll try to do that you know, from day one. So yeah, just average two hours per day. And, you know, if it's going to take less than three days, you can probably take some risks and not sleep at all. Um, and if it's going to take longer than that, then you 
probably need to sleep more than more than two days or two hours per day. At least I would. But uh, so yeah, my plan was to do two hours on average per day. So um, yeah, I uh, initially slept at Whiskey Row, um, and then so Whiskey slept Row is like mile ninety or something. Maybe I, yeah, I hit it in the first night, like in the morning or something. I was going pretty quick. Like if if you've heard some other stories, like uh, I mean, obviously Mike like dropped way way into the back, but like when he missed like an aid station, um, and like was like holy crap, I missed an aid station. And I had to run back and then still somehow set it, set the course record. He like came piling out of the trees. And he's like, yo, Kevin, where's the aid station? I'm like, dude, it's a mile and a half back that way. And, oh, so uh, he went through town and he didn't see it, like that left turn or whatever, yeah. It was, uh, the one that he missed was Camp Keepa, which is uh, mm. up before you get to Whiskey Row. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a rookie mistake that uh, that obviously the, a veteran can make. Because, uh, I, I mean, I oh yeah, I guess... Uh, there's there, there's another just little little tidbit like yeah keep your eye open for the little the little arrow that points you to camp keeper um yeah is that in the mountain back fiction or something? yeah it's, it's a little out and back but like i mean you know uh, you, you just you you go a couple of hundred yeah. yards off the road but like there is just a little arrow and, and you know how everybody put it like um marks their races it's it's just that regular arrow but apparently even you know yeah, a machine. Yeah, but if you miss the arrow miss on an out and back section, then you're still technically on the course yeah, by going forward. Issue. So you're seeing more yep. arrows. Yeah. So it's not yep. like you're like you, you yep. like the alarms aren't set in your head like, oh, I don't see any more arrows. Like you're seeing the arrows, but you have missed a two mile yeah. section of an out and back that you're supposed to have turned yet. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah. My, so, for, um, my pro tip for that, guys, by the way, it's pretty easy. If you're a mid packer, you always have people around you, so you don't miss turns. <laughs> Just run slow. Right. Trust me, it works. Oh, <laughs> Plenty man. of people around, middle of the pack. Plenty exactly. of us. Although I have had yeah. situation where we were like at least 50 or 100 people missing a turn. And that's always awkward. But yes, that has happened. Here, here's, a, yeah. here's an honest uh, statement is that I missed a turn at Leadville. And it wasn't. It wasn't in probably my first three or four finishes. It was like later on in my um, things. And I was just spacing out. I was looking at the dirt road in the ground and there was feet in front of me and I followed the guy that didn't make the turn. And then I, I came to and I looked around and it was only like a quarter mile, luckily. But I was like, so I had to yell to him, get his attention to turn around. He was wearing like one ear butt in, mm. but luckily not the other. So I was able to get his attention. He turned around and came back and we went back to the correct turn. And somebody was following me. Because I was following yeah. him, and uh, but can, but can we at, all agree at an event that I've done like, six times, yeah, yeah. Can, can we all agree also? Like, I I feel like there's so many people that are, that I've like witnessed this where somebody's like, you know, trudging off into the wilderness or whatever, and somebody's like, oh, that guy's lost. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this opportunity to like, you know, gain some ground. Like, we should all just you know make a pact to be like. Bro, course is this way. Yeah, I, I've never like... seen anyone that wouldn't say it. Like, and I have myself mm -hmm. like sprint behind someone to catch them and say, "Hey, like you're going the wrong way." Yeah, mm -hmm. I, yeah. If I someone would like, not tell like me, I've I would be it. pissed. I would oh, be man, very yeah. pissed. Like, again, to, to Simon and I's point is that that's definitely a mid pack thing. Yeah, like, exactly. We, oh, we stop yeah, and get the yeah. person back. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I, I stop to pet dogs. Like that's how 
like in a rush <laughs> I am to like finish. I'm just like, oh, that's a nice dog. Like let's let's play a little bit. So I would, yeah, that's I would be pissed if someone doesn't tell me. Seriously, I yeah, I so, think that just so day it, one last year, um, you had really hot weather, um, <laughs> just kind of right out of the gun, coming from High Mountain, Colorado. So Simon's in a different boat than we are, Kevin. Uh, Simon's mm-hmm. down in the uh, San Diego coast area, and um, and so you know you're coming from a, a really good winter in winter conditions, but um, and I've done it too, and I know exactly. Um, I've gone to Arizona and raced in April in an Ironman um, way back in the day. And I drove there in a snowstorm with my triathlon bike on the roof of my car. Um, so how much water, like, did you, I, I mean, I'm sure you carried all the required water, but did you carry any, yeah. any additional, um, how much, I mean, what's this water drop look like? Like, give, give us a rundown of day one and what, what, what should I expect? Yeah. So, um, the water drop also can be easy to miss. Uh, you, uh, you cross over, I think like kind of the only Creek, um, in that section. And then, uh, the water drop was literally just a bunch of gallons of water um, mm-hmm. on the backside. Actually, they might have been five gallon, uh, like um, blue totes or whatever things. those blue totes yeah, are. Blue, yeah. yeah, those things. But they were on like the backside of a shed. Um, also, <laughs> it, like you know, you you kind of had to. It's like, oh, there's a shed. Okay. Oh, I got to walk around the backside of it, and then there's just a bunch of like kind of gallons of water, or, or yeah, uh, blue things of water. Um, right there and it is literally just water there's no snacks or anything like that and uh so yeah when you finally get to um oh um uh i can't even remember the name of it but uh the um the first kind of real aid station it's it's great uh and look forward to good food um kind of all through that but did you, yeah did you um, use all your water did you run out of water did, did you have extra water i ran out of water too um yeah i used all my water and i ran out i had uh a three liter camelback um three i, I definitely had a, a liter um of the uh catadine like beef free uh bottles mm-hmm. and then two uh regular soft flasks um so total carrying capacity that's like uh a that's gallon and a liter, four, so yeah, five liters basically. That's five, five basically, liters, yeah. Yeah, basically five liters. Um, and the requirement went, is four, so you were a little heavy on that, okay? And you I still needed heavy. more. I used it all, and I filled <laughs> up at the water drop. I don't think I filled everything up at the water drop, but uh, yeah, I I needed it all. Um, I'm also, I mean, I'm sitting in a chair, but um, yeah, I'm six foot five almost. 200 pounds so like i'm a bigger person probably not as efficient in the heat but uh yeah the heat kind of kicked my butt um and the heat kicked my butt on i don't know if it was yeah it must have been day two whenever i was going through sedona um mm. it got hot again uh oak creek was like bliss oh my gosh like there's no no place better than that 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 crossing in oak creek i was like i just totally is that the one after there. sedona yeah, it's after Sedona. Yeah. yeah, you've seen that section. Yep. Um, um, yeah, that got that got so hot too. I mean, uh, but uh, but yeah, the Bradshaws are, are the standout crux of that race. Um, and look forward to uh, hopefully they're still doing it uh, at the Elden Aid Station. Uh, they forced me to take some steak. <laughs> I was glad they did because uh, 
normally you're not thinking like, oh my gosh, some steak at an aid station. And I was definitely not thinking that. I'm like, I'm, I'm running eight miles down to town. Like that's the finish line. I'm done. And uh, Peter Mortimer is like, no, nah, bro, you're taking some steak and uh, put like two pieces of steak in my mouth or in my hand. And uh, I just ate it like on the jog down, down the hill. It was like melt in your mouth. I've never had a better cooked steak in my life. It was crazy. And he was doing it on a camp <laughs> stove. So if you're a meat eater, look forward to that on the top of Eldon. Hopefully he's still doing it. I will take steak at an aid station. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so but um awesome hey i wanted to talk a little bit i know that you're going uh through some um real quick like some um injury recovery um rehab type of stuff um i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure you haven't um it's not running related or the it's initial not. injury. It, it was, I think you were playing hockey with yeah, the hockey good. team up at Aspen. Yeah, good work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, currently current status is IPOS. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I tore my MCL in the middle of December. Um, so uh, the recovery from that has, I mean, initially I was pretty devastated. I, uh, I thought I'd blown out my whole knee, um, and went in, uh, and got an MRI and, and got some imaging done the next day and, uh, found out that it was kind of the, the best scenario of a, of a bad mm-hmm. scenario. Um, and, uh, immediately, I guess injury day zero, day one, um, started thinking about recovery and, um, you know, basically asked my doctor, um, who I know him from, uh, well, I, 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 um, just a little bit, I, I guess, uh, back up a little bit. I, I, uh, I am a cardiac nurse and also have done a bunch of other things in the Valley and maybe we'll talk about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I knew my doctor both professionally and then also, uh, have passed him running up Aspen mountain countless times. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, I got a list of, of basically, uh, things right away, uh, that I could do to, to try to stay in shape. And, and, uh, and, and so I was just recovery focused basically from injury day one. Um, and what, what does MCL, that look like? Kevin? What does that, what does that list look yeah. like? What, like, are you doing Graston? Are you doing cupping? Um, I just got this question um, the other day from an athlete. That's, that's really um, sort of the impetus on why I was bringing it up. Are you doing, yeah. um, you know, like cross training? Are you focusing on doing- upper body strength work because your lower knee is just problematic and you're trying to give it some rest? What, what's going on there? What yeah. does that look like? Yeah, right? Right, yeah, right away. So a lot of cross training um, and I am running uh, now as well, just not a ton of volume. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of cross training, uh, anything that basically, uh, I could stay in line. So I was on an exercise bike on, on, uh, yeah, like I said, day one, I've been doing a lot of trainer miles. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's relative a lot for me. Um, I have been, uh, doing a lot more, yeah, strength training, um, kind of got back into climbing a little bit just at the gym. Uh, so, um, 
although I, I need to stay away from like drop knee maneuvers and stuff like that. Anything mm -hmm. that puts a, uh, a medial load in, I'm, I'm kind of out of the danger zone when it comes to like going back to square one, but the trouble with an MCL injury is that they are easy to, uh, to re injure. Um, it was a partial tear. I did a, a lot of, a lot of damage, but it wasn't complete. So I avoided surgery, which was good. Um, but yeah, cross training, physical therapy. Uh, those are, those are the things that I've been doing. And, uh, what about like the, so the new age stuff, those, the Graston, um, are you doing any cupping, any dry needling, any of those, uh, any of those newer not. age, um, resources out there? No. I am not. I, uh, okay. I'm familiar with all Fair those. Enough. Um, my, my wife has utilized those. Um, she sees a doctor in, in basalt that, uh, that does those and, and, uh, speaks pretty highly of them, but I don't know. I'm kind of old school, I guess, in a way. I mean, maybe not, maybe that's real old school. Cause that's like Eastern medicine, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, true. I'm, uh, I, I'm kind of, kind of old school where, uh, yeah, just physical therapy rehab and then, uh, and then cross training, um, taking the opportunity to, uh, strengthen the core again, um, in all these years, uh, being an ultra runner, I think that my core has gotten kind of weak and, um, I think that a strong core, especially with trail running is like, is really critical. Um, and it, and it, at least for me, when I first got going, it, it's steep in my learning curve, like just having an, an incredibly strong core, um, it's steep in my learning curve, uh, and probably allowed me to get away with some things that I would never recommend, like a coaching client or anybody who's getting into ultra running to, to try to do. Um, but yeah, just being overall strong and, and, and just kind of a, a well-rounded athlete, I think helps. So yeah, I'm taking the opportunity to tap back into climbing. I got chalky hands right now. And, um, nice. so what and about, yeah, I, I am running. What about little. like, what about your mental game? Like is, is all this cross training and this climbing and, uh, spinning on the bicycle and, and the little bit of running that you are doing, is that satiating the need to get out and, and be physical? Um, like you have been in the past. I mean, obviously your re running mm. resume on ultra sign up is really, yeah. um, robust, and are you are is, are you satiating that, or or is there some some mental struggle still there just because you're not getting it all in? Yeah, no. The easy answer, Brian, uh, is is no. It's definitely not satiating that uh, that um, that need to get out. And uh, ultimately, it's uh, what it is doing is it's kind of fueling the the creativity um, side of my mind, like you know, I don't just race. Like I also go like mm -hmm. do adventures. I do FKTs, things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I do, I am signed up for a couple of races this year. They're, they're both at the end of the summer. Um, and then maybe like later in the fall, um, you know, I, I'll probably throw the purse at a, at a bigger, um, kind of loop project thing that I've been working on for a couple of years, like in Western Colorado and, and Eastern Utah. Um, so, and it's not really like a, it's not even, it's not like extreme 
it's it's really just a, like an endurance project but uh mm-hmm. but i don't know i think uh this time like you know on the bike and stuff like that just you know is is motivating me for something big later mm-hmm. in the year um but uh right now no i'm kind of a basket case I mean, like I, I appreciate your honesty because because uh, i mean i i i know without the outlet of exercise that um that I would be hard to be, uh, to live with. <laughs> I feel like that's just the thing, you know, and uh, not no that doubt. running and training is therapy for, uh, the mind, but it surely helps, you know, like it, it's your, yeah. um, is a, is, a, is a consideration for, um, help. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big prof- proponent of, you know, just of habits, training habits and, 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 um, and things like that. So, um, and then, I think like a lot of us, I mean, I don't put all of my, I mean, I have a day job. I, you know, have my identity is not all mm-hmm. endurance sports, mountain athlete, but it definitely is a huge part of my identity. And, uh, and, uh, especially right away in that acute phase, like right when I first hurt my knee, um, I had a crisis of, I had an identity crisis immediately. I was just, I was, I was laying on the ice and was just like, I just looked at my knee and was like, holy crap. Um, I, I just, I just lost like the majority of me. I, I what am I going to do? I don't even know. And, mm-hmm. and I'm still kind of like piecing that together. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty darn mobile. Like this recovery's gone incredibly well like i said it was like the best case scenario worst case scenario but uh but it it, it knocked me off of a lot of uh yeah just like a, a normal training schedule um, it 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 knocked me off of the good habits that i had and and mm-hmm. i mean i don't know that's like that's kind of a dangerous place to be sometimes especially somebody like who has you know I mean, I think that a lot of endurance athletes kind of have like an addictive personality and, and I'm there, um, luckily it's sports and when you don't have sports, you're like, Ooh, this is, this is, this can, this is, uh, this is kind of a, a, a nervy, scary place to be. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's uh, definitely yeah. a huge, like mental component of injuries also. I, I never had something as serious as that, but I've had a couple of times to the point where I couldn't walk for basically a month or like, you know, I could go to the toilet, but I couldn't walk a mile. And I I was really getting kind of darker and darker. And very quickly, you can do other sports. Like you could go swimming, I could bike, but I couldn't like put weight. But anytime I would see anyone running in the park, I would just be pissed. I, I would be like, not angry at them, but, and like, I think I'm a positive guy, but I was like, this is like, I was like, nah, this is so fucking unfair. You know, like, this is bullshit. I, I used to be able to do that. And now, you know, like I can't even walk. And like, I, I was really getting like grumpy, even though I had other sports, it was just, I want to run right now. Like that, like, I don't have the freedom to do that. And even if it's not racing, I'm, I'm a big hiker. I think if, my running yeah. would ever get me to a point where, you know, like we always joke about knees, but like if I had problem that would be severe enough to not be able to even hike, I would very much regret that I was running so much. I'm not worried about it because that's kind of a myth, but 
it's kind of the outlet and not being able to do what you want to do for me was the biggest like frustration. I just, yeah, I was dark. I was really dark. So Yeah. It's forced me to get creative. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's good. Uh, the, the, I think the worst, definitely I'm, I'm on the upswing. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I think, not thinking about racing. I definitely think that soon. there's, um, there is, um, you know, that, that, Oh shit, that panic button that just automatically goes off. It sends you into that spiral. Um, and for me personally, like I know I have that personality, that addictive personality, and I just have to put that energy into something else. Um, for me, it's kind of funny for me, it's probably all those house projects I haven't gotten to because I've been running. Um, for me, it's, um, maybe it's work or family or something else, but it's, but I have to, um, recognize that I need, um, to fill that space with something. I can't sit around and watch YouTube videos of running and be all pissed off at, um, at myself for, you know, overdoing it or tripping and falling or whatever it might be. Um, knock on wood. I'm, I'm fortunate. I haven't had an injury in a while. Um, but I have had injuries. Um, I, I've been a lifelong runner. I'm running for, you know, over 30 years easily. That's why um, I'm checking and, on you every a... time, Brian. I'm making sure your knees are <laughs> well, okay. I mean, yeah. And um, I'm getting old, man. I'm um, I'm running with these high school kids. Sorry, you're not getting old. You're them. old. It's very different. You're, you're older. I'm, I'm getting, getting older. Old. <laughs> I'm slowly getting But these there. high school kids, these high school kids are able to smoke me now, and I was like, holy smokes, it's really catching up to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I and young to people, them. how quickly they bounce back. Because you're right. Like one, when I was pissed at being injured, it, it's not like a hockey accident. You know, like it's not a traumatic event. It's just. I pushed too hard. I was dumb. And very quickly, you're like, why was I so stupid? Like, why didn't I slow down when I felt that there was a little something in my knee? I just blew it up. Like, I felt like, mm -hmm. Simon, like, you don't be a little bitch. Like, keep running. And then afterwards, you can't walk for a month. Like, how stupid was that? Like, I knew something was wrong. So, yeah, the frustration was definitely there. But, yeah, you see those kids and they're like, damn, you know? I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'm very impressed. I guess I would have been like that. And that's also different. I was not an athlete growing up. So I never actually experienced being able to do these crazy workouts. And then the next day be totally fine. Like I I'm feeling it. I've never, yeah, I've never felt young in sports. So yeah. You, you never know how close you are to the line, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, we're all trying to like, we're, we're trying to push, push as close as we can to the line. And then, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, you cross over it and, yeah, well, like, it's, yeah. maybe it's not even a line. Maybe it's just like it, maybe it's not even a line. It's just a gray area, right? Yeah. You don't you don't know how like you don't know where that. It's not a definitive line, right? It's it's more of a gray space. Yeah, and you're yeah. and you're buttoning up against it. And, but and there's definitely good pain it. and bad pain. You know, like even I think like good pain sometimes is way more painful, and bad pain sometimes like when you have experience, it's just like hey, like that that does not feel normal. Like this is not how I should be feeling. Like that that's just not normal. It's not like a screaming pain is just like mm, i should slow down and usually that's a good reflex but yeah there's been time where i was just like ah let's keep pushing like i'm doing a pr like and, and then you do it and then shit <laughs> oopsie anyway yeah well i'm glad you're dealing with it i'm glad that uh, you're healing i i know that you're back to running um we uh i think you ran well, um, a few miles okay. with us a little bit no, but you ran a few miles with us with the last time I went to the, the group run. Yeah. 
Um, I think you came out to the Christmas lights run in in our, in my town in Glenwood. I I, I missed that one. No, uh, Liesel did, uh, but that was that oh, was that's right, right. I did see that. Yeah. I was I I was I was living on the couch. Uh, I think I probably hit the trainer that night, but yeah, um, yeah, venturing on to. I mean, yeah, I ran two and a half miles today. It was it was nice. Good. The start right up 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 on Thompson Creek. So not not technical there you go. or anything. Um, so Kevin and I do live in the same valley. Um, we um, we literally run in the same circles um, of people, um, but it, it's an interesting um, connection on how we met. And I, I do want to touch on it just because because uh, it is kind of an interesting twist of a story. Um, I'll share my side and then I'll let Kevin chime in at the end and finish it off for us. Um, but in short order, in 20. 15, I, I was trying to think of this out. Um, about 2015 or so, I um, I got my last DUI. Um, I was not in a good headspace. I was uh, drinking and driving. I got a ticket in Glenwood. I got pulled over. I got arrested. The whole thing. Um, it was my third offense um, in the state of Colorado in 22 years or so um, that I've lived at the time that I lived here. Um, and that meant I had to do um, quite a bit of jail time. I think it was 60 days, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I worked for town government in Snowmass Village, which is in the county next to mine, um, in Pitkin County, farther up valley towards Aspen from where I live in, in Western Colorado. And, um, and I was a town employee at the time. I worked um, for a recreation center. I ran their swimming pool. I wasn't um, the mayor or anything really cool. I was, I was, a, I was a pool boy um, for a small town in, um, in Pitkin County. Our communities are really small and um, and people did favors for me. Um, maybe they liked me. I hope that they liked me and maybe that's why I got some favors pulled for me. But um, I was able to go and do my 60 days in a work release program in the Aspen County Jail. Um, and it was just this weird program. I was able to check myself out in the morning. I had to go um, directly to the bus to get to um, the recreation center um, to show up to work and then call in and let them know I made it to work. They would check the caller ID. It was this whole process. Um, it, I wasn't I wasn't a full inmate. I didn't go to the inmate side and eat um, meals with the the full time inmates in in their orange suits or whatever they wore on that side of the house. I didn't even see them quite honestly. Um, I had to go to um, I I got released for an hour um, three times a day to go get myself food in downtown Aspen in a weird way and um, in a weird twist. And I had to go and um, and then report back in. I had to take uh, breathalyzers and get patted down every time I left and came from the facility. But I was in my own little wing in a, in a side office or a side portion of the jail. But I was definitely in the Picking County Jail. I was an inmate for 60 days. and um, But I was lucky to be able to keep my job. Um, I was fortunate to be able to um, still uh, keep my job that paid the bills um, and... Um, and I was fortunate enough that during my one hour meal breaks, um, they were sort of unstructured. I was allowed to do a little outdoor activities as well. And um, mm. and so I I played the system a little bit and I'm sure that, uh, that others have too, but I would go in the morning to the grocery store and get meals for the rest of the day. And then at lunch and dinner times, I would go run for the one hour that I was allowed outside. Um, I would go run all of downtown Aspen. I would run Smuggler Mountain back and I would see how many miles I could get in one hour. So I get like these 
really hard workouts inside of the one hour window. Um, it was the strangest thing. Um, I, um, I don't drink, um, anymore. I, I'm seven years sober. Um, I got sober, um, a little bit after that I did, um, leave that facility and continued, um, abusing alcohol for a little bit longer. Um, and then I'll let Kevin, uh, finish off that story of 2015. Yeah. So, um, I met Brian Pacenti uh, because I was a deputy at the Pitkin County Jail in which he was an inmate. Um, and yes, he uh, was able to serve his sentence because, you know, a DUI shouldn't necessarily ruin somebody's entire life. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough valley, tough area to live in. And, uh, you know, oftentimes in other jurisdictions, yeah, Brian might have lost his job and in turn lost his livelihood, in turn lost his housing, family, everything would have ruined his life. Um, so uh, Pickin County does have a work release program that uh, that enables people to continue living their life. And, and a lot of people refer to it colloquially, colloquially as the, you know, the, the Pickin County Aspen Freehab. Um, yeah, because it's, uh, it's an opportunity, I guess, uh, for a lot of folks, maybe to be sober for the first time in a long time. Um, I've, I've been wanting to have this conversation just, you know, with, with Brian, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, first off, like, if you look back at, at my ultra sign up, you'll see that, you know, my ultra running career kind of began in 2015. Um, and it kind of coincided with, uh, with meeting this, uh, this crazy guy who was in jail, um, who would go running on his, on his lunch breaks. And I knew that he had done like Leadville and stuff like that. So I was like, man, it's crazy. Like this guy's in jail and he can do Leadville. Like how hard can it be? Um, you know, those are the mental games and stuff that you play. Um, I, I have heard on another podcast that, uh, you know, you, you were like, oh man, jail was kind of a joke because I got to go running for an hour, you know, on all my things. And it really didn't like make me change my behavior. That's a bummer. Yeah. I would really wished that it would have, you know, made you change some of your behaviors, but just like what I was just talking about, about, you know, kind of keeping good habits. Um, I strongly advocated for you, uh, to be able to run on your lunch breaks. Cause there were definitely people that, and even, and you, I didn't know you very well. I didn't know you at all. I mean, you didn't know me. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was kind of by design, but, uh, I wanted you to run. Um, I wanted you to keep running. Uh, I kind of imagined myself in your shoes and, and, uh, knew that if I wasn't able to run, then it would be a much, much more negative outcome. Um, you know, you, you don't fix a problem that took a whole lifetime to create overnight or even over 60 days. Um, but I hoped that creating those good habits, keeping on running, keeping on having physical activity as part of your life would ultimately be another building block towards a better Brian. And, uh, and yeah, so that's how we met. And you also made a better me because 
you were just another building block of holy crap now i know somebody who is doing crazy things and it shrunk that crazy thing a little bit where it was like mm-hmm. you know if if i don't know anybody personally who's run 100 miles then 100 then 100 miles is impossible to me or darn darn close to it but all of a sudden i knew one more person that did and that person was a regular human being just like me and that person went through all the, you're not a superhero you were in jail and uh and and so i was hoping that that you running would make you better but you also made me better and you know uh it definitely was a big big push towards uh towards all the crazy all, all the crazy things now i've done 10 years um, well i appreciate that kevin that's uh that's really great to hear. We actually haven't had this conversation. Um, if no, you can't we tell this is from, the first time from, from listening. <laughs> yeah, for other people listening. Um, you know, I did. I, I I did talk about it on a podcast, and I didn't learn my lessons because I went back out and kept on drinking. But I do. Yeah. I think some of the things that did stick with me is that um, when I left there, I I was actually. I, I mean, I, I think people have like that image of the alcoholic in their mind. Like I was like drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. I was waiting for the liquor store to open up at nine 15. Um, you know, but I wasn't, I was like the weekend drinker. Uh, when I did drink, I wouldn't stop, but I, I went to work Monday through Friday or, you know, whatever I worked, I guess, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't the, um, the stereotypical uh, image that we, um, think of an alcoholic, you know, I wasn't that type of, um, you know, gutter type of, um, drinker. Um, but when I did drink, I couldn't stop until all the alcohol in front of me was gone. Um, and I went back out. And so I didn't learn my lessons. I think, I think one of the, I mean, of course, I'm appreciative um, that the, the Picking County system was able to give me the opportunities to maintain what I do have and currently have now as a result. Um, losing my job would have been a, a huge uh, setback. I mean, it, it could have been, um, you know, losing my life, essentially, as you mentioned, but um but I didn't learn enough because it wasn't hard enough. If that makes any sense as well, it was there was a there was a fine line where I needed a little more. Like I didn't, I almost didn't need any more favors. Like I needed to learn a hard lesson. Um, fortunately, I was able to learn that farther on down the line and and get myself clean and sober. Um, but I I didn't learn it um, from the prison system, unfortunately, from Picking County. Although I was appreciative that I was able to um, maintain what I had as stability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know. It's, it's, it's not one size fits all. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I think there was a, a ton of people in there that benefited from the program and, um, and I, and quite honestly, I'll never, um, live in downtown Aspen. Um, but I did for 60 days. Yeah. It was the, that was, that was the cheapest, <laughs> cheapest rent in Aspen. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so it, interesting. It, so. It, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you kept running. Uh, honestly, like whether, whether you thought it was hard enough or not, I came out, it's a pretty good fitness. Um, yeah. A DUI shouldn't be a death sentence. Yeah, it was good. I, I'm appreciative of the system and, um, in the long haul, I, I mean, things worked out, but, um, but for me, it was, it was, it, it wasn't that lesson. Um, yeah. that was the changing point quite honestly. Yeah. But that's how we met. And that's also, that's, that's also, like I said, that I, I think, I think that, uh, 
when you'd sent that sent the thing earlier, you know, I don't think I ever told you that you were you were a major reason reason that I uh, started running ultras. I mean, I I was a rock climber. Um, I yeah I I I went on a trail run with my wife and then also kind of knew this guy that you weren't the only one. There's another uh, another guy that uh, I was like, oh man, regular old person that wanted to like you know kick a smoking habit and ran bighorn. Like oh cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, you know, knowing, knowing, knowing that, you know, people that run these events are normal people, even people that, I mean, hell, like, yeah, I've, I've done some cool stuff. I also held down a, you know, a, a normal nine to five job or actually not nine to five, like all kinds of weird hours. Yeah. Shift you work some crazy hours at, um, the, at the, at the, at the jail for sure. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then hospital stuff too was, uh, ha has been crazy. That's another just little tip, like, uh, um, with 200 milers in, in particular, I mean, hundred milers, um, you can, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the same stuff, but, uh, um, I like for Cocodona, I like screwed up my sleep by working a night shift, like the Thursday before the race started, mm -hmm. um, granted the race started on like Monday mm -hmm. and I was like, nah, Thursday, like, that's fine. Um, I'll be recovered by Monday. Um, but really like set, set yourself, get, get good sleep, bank sleep for, you know, a week beforehand. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I didn't mean to just like twist it back into that, but, uh, you know, I've worked a lot of shift work and had messed up sleep schedules and things like that. And that just popped into my head with Cocodona because sure, it, sure. it, it really set me back. So, so another little tip uh, for when you guys get there, um, bank sleep ahead of time. I know, Bri, you've you've done. Uh, have you done Moab twice? I've done two Moabs, or, yeah. Yeah, two Moabs. Yeah, um, and I think we. And, well, Simon and I. I mean, we. Simon's done the hundred and and one twenty five and one thirty five at Badwater, um, but mm -hmm. I mean, I could also relate that back to um, our Simon and I's experience at Uray, um, which you know, which went almost a full two days um yeah a little more even 50 years yeah it, yeah for the sleep part of it yeah for i mean and, and specifically related to the, the sleep topic that you were just uh referencing yeah i heard having kids is great yeah. to prepare for ultra you you learn to deal with puke poop and no sleep so <laughs> yeah yeah kids and shift work yep yep definitely Hey, thanks for sharing that, Kevin. I appreciate that. That's a, that was really great. Um, um, I'm, I'm really, um, pleased to know you and have met you, uh, even though the circumstances were, um, awkward to, um, to just, just indifferent, um, as, as you being a, a prison guard and, and me being an inmate, it was just kind of a, an awkward inter introduction to each other, but, but I appreciate your, um, insight and sharing that as well. Totally. It was, it was the roles that we were playing at the time, right? Hey, I'm gonna sh I'm gonna try to wrap this up real quick. Right. Um, Kevin also Kevin wears a lot of hats. Um, if you can't tell, he I, I'm not even sure what he does currently, but I know he's been a nurse and um, I know he's worked for the county, obviously in the prison system. Um, but he's also been a 911 dispatcher. Um, and hear, Kevin I, also is a coach through USCA. Um, I am, yeah, ultra running coach. Yeah. Um, so quickly, what do you do for work? 
um, currently, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was not a dispatcher. That was my <laughs> wife. I, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I am a certified death investigator. So I actually, uh, have investigated over a hundred deaths in my career. Um, so yeah, I work for the coroner's office, uh, in Pitkin County. I also work for the sheriff's office again. I'm a cardiac nurse as well, but, uh, not currently practicing at the bedside. I'm, I'm taking another break from the hospital. Um, and that may be permanent. I don't know. Um, I, I, uh, but uh, yeah, so that is what I do, and uh, yeah, are I you have coaching been... part time? Yeah, a little bit. I uh, I have a, a handful of clients, uh, mostly first responders and shift workers, um, and uh, I'm pretty much just do programming for uh, folks that want to uh, that want to take kind of that shift work experience and uh, see what they can do in a trail race. Um, because, nice. because uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know, especially the experience of staying up overnight and like night shift life um, also translates well to uh, ultras. But a lot of times there's a mismatch on, uh, you know, maybe the just you know an organized training structure. So yeah, I do uh, I do build some training plans for for first responders, things like that. Awesome. So we usually. Um... At the end of the program here, um, we have the coach's corner. Um, oh, and we have two coaches. I'll ask the question then. And we have we have two coaches. So uh, so I'd love to hear your ideas on these uh, these two questions that come in through social media um, that get filtered okay. in, and um, so we'll trickle them out to us now. All right, all right, coaches. I have a question from Mark B. Is it uh, Bauer? Is it our Mark? Yeah, our, it's our. Oh, it's it's our buddy that, Mark. That makes a double it's from, meaning. It's Mark then. from episode two. Yeah. It's Mark from episode two. Look, Kevin, <laughs> the guy came on our podcast and he called me a slow runner. So anyway, <laughs> he's asking, uh, do I need to do speed work for ultras or run slow all the time? What do you guys think? Um, my my answer is uh, do some speed work. Yes. And more specifically, uh, what would you recommend? All of and what type of workout? Uh, I like to do, or I like to program, uh, generally I'll program like, a, a pyramid speed workout, um, whatever keeps somebody motivated, honestly. But, uh, if they're like open to anything, then, uh, I like structuring pyramid workouts on a track. Um, and then, uh, also, um, hill intervals, uh, three minute hills. Definitely yes. Mark, you should be doing speed work. Um, you should be building in um, the least amount or the least specific speed work farthest away from your event. So you should be doing the intervals now. If you're so it's February, I should timeline this. It's February now. And if you're racing in September, you should be doing your interval work now. In a few months, you should be turning that into tempo work, which is a little bit longer between five and 12 minutes um, efforts with half recovery between them. The, the intervals should be one to one three minutes on three minutes off as an example, um, to Kevin's point, to Kevin's example. Um, and then, uh, steady state runs as we get closer to the event, which are longer durations of 15 minutes or better. Um, so it might be 15 by three or two by 20 or three by 20 minutes on with halftime recovery as well, or even maybe less than halftime, maybe just five or six minutes between those. Um, 
of course, those um, intensities are, um, are are the greatest um, on the intervals. Tempo is a little um, less intense, and then steady state obviously is less intense than that. Um, and that's when we get into the specifics of the event that you're doing for an ultra. Yeah, and I, I guess the that's second layer to that is like if, program. if you guys could comment as to what are you trying to do with these higher intensity workout? Like, what's the benefit? Because I, I think the the rationale of the question is like, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be averaging four miles an hour at most. And that would be a sub 24, basically. So do I really need to be running, you know, at 10 mile an hour or something crazy like that? Like what, what am I trying to do with these key workout? Yeah. Um, and I don't know the exact science behind it. Uh, but I can say that, uh, you know, the speed workouts intervals, um, are going to build your, essentially build your aerobic capacity. VO2 max, they make, they make things, um, they, they make something at a faster pace generally seem easier than, uh, than they would be without it. You know, it's, uh, you know, yeah, all Mark needs to do is average 12 and a half minute miles for, you know, a hundred of them for, to, uh, to get a 24 hour hundred. I think that's what it is. Something like that. Um, or maybe even, even less, but like, you know, if, if you can exert the same amount of effort and those are like 11 minute miles and great, you went that much faster and you have that much more of a buffer, uh, you know, for when things go wrong. Totally agree. I, yeah. To, the, the idea or the science behind is that we're building VO2 max, we're building that cardiovascular system. Um, we're trying to move oxygen more efficiently through the body. Um, and at those higher heart rates, um, we're, we're seeing that adaptation a little bit better. Um, that's the main goal. If we think of like the a top goal of it, but everything and it, but none of these workouts have just one specific goal, right? The second goal would be that we're getting a better leg turnover. We're getting a higher cadence. Maybe we're running higher up on our feet and, and using, um, the four, the forefoot instead of just running slowly and heel striking and just kind of keeping one monotonous pace. Right. So we're, we're, um, we're, we're changing the gate by, um, by running a little bit quicker. Um, and then, um, you know, our, um, respiratory rates are, um, increasing We're we're getting better respiratory rates. We're bringing the heart rate down a little bit more in running the same paces. Um, instead of running at that 12 and a half minute mile all the time at that same heart rate, we're able to maybe run to Kevin's point at 11 minute mile at, at or near the same heart rate. So, um, so those are the adaptations that we're looking for in the speed work. Plus it's also a change of pace. I mean, in, in more than one sense, but it's also a change of pace, right? We're, we're not monotonous. I, I think if I had to run or if I was considering running a 12 and a half minute mile from here until Moab 240 in October, um, that I'd be pretty bored of training by the time I got to that point as well. So I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm trying to keep myself actively engaged by having different seasons and creating different structure to the training. So that's just not so much slogging away at 12 and a half minute miles. Yeah, no, that's cool. My, my understanding is like the, one of the key reason you want a higher view to max and yeah, interval workout is like, that's how you increase it. That's also increasing your lactate threshold. And that's, you know, the, the lactate threshold is when you start having accumulation of degradation of, of sugar and that will cause cramping and pain. So really as, 
if your threshold is higher, you can work at that intensity longer and not have accumulation, so not get fatigue. Um, and like the, the mm -hmm. easy comparison is a higher VO2 max. You have basically more long capacity, I guess, or the opposite of that would be if you're running at altitude and you're pooped out very quickly, it's kind of the opposite of increasing your VO2 max is you're, you're getting less oxygen and everything, everything hurts. So it will affect even your, your lower kind of intensity workout. All right, all right. Um, next question is from Adam, and Adam is asking you guys, uh, what's the best way for <laughs> what's the best way for a flatlander to train um, for eating at altitude? Hmm. Um, I'll just jump in with you know kind of some anecdotal experience. Uh, I have done a lot of weird gut training um it's just been like kind of anecdotal um just testing things out on my own honestly and they seem to work pretty well i mean i may be gifted with like a with a with a good gut um just inherently but uh i'll do weird things like eat a whole bag of potato chips like which is not like great fuel it kind of produces a lot of gastric distress and then go do a go do a workout um my wife uh brian mentioned was a dispatcher um uh she was recognized she as she got a life-saving pin and 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 uh the family of the person who she talked through cpr uh provided a surf and turf dinner um to uh, the fire station and everybody I gorged myself on lobster and steak and went running up Aspen mountain. Granted that's not flat, but, um, you know, uh, we like a lot of times we'll, so like an ultra is not perfect, right? Like, you know, there's, everything's going wrong all the time. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times it's not going wrong all the time, but your training runs, like we, we put them into this, like, kind of perfect box where it's like i'm 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 well um fueled i'm i'm well hydrated i'm you know whatever and uh and you set yourself up for your your workout and then ultimately you get into a race and all of a sudden you maybe are experiencing for the first time gastric distress and things like that it builds anxiety anxiety kind of snowballs on itself and ultimately that could be the genesis of your gut issues i mean it's not and, and then add the altitude on top of it um for this flatlander right here i'd say eat some crap and go do your workouts it's <laughs> just an anecdotal experience and it that seems to have worked for me and you know i don't know if like coop or anybody would be like yeah that's 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 the ticket um that's but, sound advice yeah Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anecdotally, it, it works. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and, and I, yeah, I, I would say he should try that. <laughs> so Adam, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. I am going to say that um, I think at first you start by separating the two. Um, first you do your training at Flatland, um, trying to work on your altitude acclimatization, right? So you want to like, if you're at flatland, you're going to run in the heat of the day. I know he's like on the East coast, somewhere pretty hot. Um, so uh, 
heat acclimation is a substitute, um, a near substitute for um, altitude acclimation, right? So, um, so him in heat, um, running in the heat, running in the day. And then I think, Adam, you need to just work on the gut, work on eating on the run, just like Kevin's saying, and you're separating the two, right? Then you could start to mend the two as you start to figure those out, right? Then you could do the crossover. You could start eating on your long runs on those hot days, which you should be doing anyway. But I, but I think that uh, eating is a, is a loose term in ultra world and training. We think of, you know, someone squeezing a little goo packet in their mouth, but Kevin's talking about eating a, a, you know, a three course, four course meal of some sort, you know, steak and lobster or something. Um, you know, eating the calories that you're going to need to move on to the next aid station and these longer events that we're doing. So I think you start out by breaking them apart and then start to, to mesh them across um, each other. Um, that's my best advice that I, I got for you. Yeah, if I can chime in from someone who's living at sea level because these two are living in Colorado. Um, I mean, obviously, if, you, if you're if you not able to eat at not altitude in an ultra, yeah, that's not going to happen. But it is tough, and I don't have a perfect solution. For me, altitude adaptation is what has helped the most, and I definitely see a huge difference, like huge, huge, huge difference. When I go and race Leadville, I try to go ahead of time to have two, three weeks. And yes, my body will adapt, but also my digestion. The first week that I'm there, you know, we do small runs. I'm pooped out. And like the 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 kind of physiological thing that is happening here is like you're not oxygenated enough and your body is trying to divert the blood where you really need it. And right now you're running. So digesting is kind of like, eh, that's a later problem. So as long as you're not adapted to altitude, you'll always, always, always struggle with, with eating. Um, so Unfortunately, moving to Colorado might be <laughs> the easiest solution. Um, yeah. si simple enough, Come on up. but uh, <laughs> yeah, not practical. Yeah. On on uh, on race day, also just logistic wise, um, you know, don't don't forget to uh, keep that slow trickle of calories basically from 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 the gun. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people get a lot of gastric distress, um, and maybe even chalk it up to altitude, uh, by getting behind on, uh, on their eating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I've, I've been guilty of that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but it's, it's normal so, to yeah, struggle. It's, it's normal to struggle. Yeah. Like I, I've done 3,500 miler. I've puked only twice and it's twice at Leadville. Like this is not a coincidence. It's, it's, yeah. it's definitely a thing. And it's not that I've done anything different. Um, about eating in these races, just the altitude totally messed me up. And the best you can yeah. do is adapt to it. I guess EPO could maybe help <laughs> if you want to try that too. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess that theoretically the... would help. Um, I, I'm not recommending that, yeah. but yeah, it's it's rough. Like it's it's I I see a huge difference. To Simon's point, I would say um, maybe to wrap it up is to um, it's thinking about uh, maybe not in the training, but at the event at, at a Leadville, um, which we know is altitude. And I use that as the example, um, at the Leadville is to slow down the effort when you are consuming calories. So you get into the aid station, you get yourself two quesadillas and the Coke, right? You chug the Coke, you put the Coke cup in the trash can and you're walking out and you're eating these two quesadillas. Know that your body is going to have to process that in the next, you know, 40, 50 minutes or better. Um, so maybe, maybe not a, an eight on the um, RPE scale, maybe bring it down to a six and, and let that process or try to help that process along as opposed to keep charging. Um, once you start to feel like the food settled a little bit better, your GI um, may or may not have issues. 
then you could dial it back up and start moving again a little bit harder. But give it give it a little time. Maybe just turn the dial down a little bit to help that digestion process. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Kevin, so much for um, the conversation and sharing uh, all about 200s and uh, your journey to sport and, and our little side story about how we met. Hey, Brian, I, I, I appreciate it. And Simon, it's, it's great to meet you. Great to uh, speak with you. And uh, I love what you guys are doing. Awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. We hope to uh, um, have some more guests on real soon, and we'll catch up to you guys soon. Yep. Bye.